Good morning to uh, everyone, wherever you may be watching from today. I think that uh, now we have people who are watching the message, uh, not just across the country, but uh, across the world. Uh, in fact, I think we just got blocked in France today. I'm not really sure why, but um, our Facebook got blocked in France uh, for some reason. Uh, so uh, we just want to say thank you. Thanks for, wa- thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Uh, we love you guys, and we recognize that this isn't an ideal situation, but we, uh, we also recognize that this is an opportunity for us to minister to our families, to grow together uh, in a recognition that uh, is different, in an understanding that's different than just coming to church. And that's really what I kind of want to talk about today. Uh, I keep referring to this season of life as uh, a difficult season, and the truth is, is in my opinion, we've now surpassed the definition of season. We're just in a crazy year. Uh, as parents, you've even gotten news by now that your kids are going to be doing distance learning at least for uh, a little while, and whether or not you agree with that decision doesn't really matter. The truth is, is that we find ourselves having to adjust and shift into a world that we didn't sign up for, and yet here we are. How do we respond? How do we move forward in the midst of all of this? I find myself struggling, uh, really, with the reality of of what is and struggling with what I pray it will be because uh, we don't know what the future holds. And and one of the things that I feel like the Lord has just constantly been uh, speaking into my life is that we are to be a people that are preparing or that I'm supposed to be a leader that's preparing the people that God has entrusted me with for what the future holds. Uh, I don't think that we are as prepared as we think we are for what the future holds. And so as a leader, it's my responsibility to adapt, to prepare each of us for a future that may never look like it once did. And I say that not out of some sort of doom and gloom, but rather a vantage point that allows us to to really begin to grow in our relationship with Christ and adapt and grow in our relationship with each other in some sort of future that we never signed up for, but may be the reality of what we have to live with. If only we had like a a sermon or a message that could help us understand exactly how we are to live in a world that is not what the kingdom of God intended it to be. Well, the good news is that uh, Jesus gave a message like that. Uh, Jesus, in a message to his disciples, gives a sermon in a time where things weren't exactly how they were intended to be. Things weren't unfolding and happening how the disciples thought that the Messiah would come and how they thought that it would unfold. In fact, the world that we live in today isn't what was intended of the outcome of the kingdom of God. And Jesus begins to give his disciples a series of statements that absolutely turned the culture on its ear. It aims at all of these dispositions, these these thoughts, these things that they 
they thought were important. These things that they had been taught their entire life as to what religion was all about. And Jesus is telling them that, that the world that they know, that the religion that, they know, that they've known is actually wrong, and that the kingdom of God looks very, very different. He says there's another way to think about life. He says, not so much in, a, in like this prescriptive way, but in a way that begins to challenge the status quo, in a way that if we will begin to walk in this, if we will begin to live it out, it will actually bring happiness. It will bring peace into our lives. And that's what we want, right? Especially now, it's like we, we want to be happy, we all want to be happy. There's something in us that drives us towards a place of happiness. In fact, even if we want to get real specific, our Bill of Rights in the United States of America say that we are all given the right by God to pursue happiness. We look around our world and we think if we could just win the lottery, then we would be happy. Everything would, would fall into place and everything would be wonderful. I wonder, uh, we, we think, I, I wonder if, if I was able to have all that my heart desired, right? All of the heart desires within me. If I could have that, then I could find true happiness. If I could just be married, if I could, uh, if I could just have children, if my children would just move out of the house, right? Then I would find true happiness. The, the search for true happiness is, I believe, in each and every one of us, and uh, so much so that uh, I heard a, uh, a pastor was speaking about all the things that money can't buy, right? That money can't buy happiness, it can't buy laughter, and money can't buy love, he told his congregation. And, uh, and to drive the point home, his point home, he, he says to the congregation, he said, what would you do if I offered you $1,000 to not love your mother and father? And a hush falls over the congregation, and finally a small voice near the front raises an important question. She raises her hand and says, how much would you give me to not love my big sister? <laughs> Maybe you are experiencing uh, sibling strife in your homes during the midst of these last four months. I'll give you another one because, you know, giving jokes to an empty room is uh, not my idea of fun. But I'm hoping that you're laughing at home. There was another little girl, and honestly, you know, kids are the best because they just say what comes to their mind. And uh, there was a little girl, she was attending a wedding for the first time, and the little girl whispered over to her mom, she says, why is the bride dressed in white? And her mom whispers to her, and she says, well, because white is the color of happiness, and today is the happiest day of her life. And the child thought about this for a couple of moments, and then she leans over to her mom again and says, so why is the groom wearing black? I'm just going to set that one right there for all of you, and you could think about it and laugh about it later. The truth is, is we all want happiness. But the problem is, is that we seem to always be looking for happiness in the wrong places, the, the, the reality is, is, is we contend to, or we continue to look for happiness in all of these other places, in all of these other moments, 
And the truth is, is that it always comes up empty. Well, I have good news for you this morning. I'm going to share with you a path to happiness. How to achieve that true inner peace and happiness that we all absolutely want. And it comes in the form of a message that Jesus gives uh, his disciples, and it's now known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's, uh, it's a message that he gives. He gathers all of his disciples. He goes up on this hillside, and he gives them this message. And it begins in Matthew chapter 5, and over the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at each of these blessings. We're going to kind of isolate them and, uh, and look at them individually over the next few weeks in this series called The Not-So-Basic Basics. Uh, and so I want to start with, uh, with chapter 5, uh, and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And, and mind you, he's really teaching them in such a way that uh, it's blowing their mind, right? He, he found, he's finding the reality that these people have been raised their whole life to think a specific way, to act a specific way in their uh, in their religion to uh, so much so that they come from the lineage of Abraham that, that when he says to them what he's about to say, it just it blows their mind. And so he goes on then to say to them, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, blessed are you when people insult you. When people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad, he says, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So these are what are known as the Beatitudes. These are what are known as these uh, these blessings, if you will, that Jesus gives to his disciples. And they have to be heard as grace. They, they have to be heard uh, as these, this list of, of blessings and mercy and grace. Otherwise, they won't be heard correctly. See, Jesus' gifts are, uh, to us are these blessings, these beatitudes. And Jesus begins, I think, significantly with a list of almost like uh, a congratulations, if you will. Right, which already tells us something about Jesus, right? Where uh, he, instead of, of giving us a list of commands first and giving us all of these things that we are to do, he, he instead, at the very onset, he blesses us. 
He helps before he orders us. And we are going to, in the future, we're going to look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to just be limited to these Beatitudes. And and in, in those, he does give us some prescriptive ways in how we are to live our life. But before he gets to any of those things, he wants us to understand that there is a way of living in this world And in this life, he says, I want to bless you with this. I want you to be congratulated in living your life in such a way. Now, you might be someone who, uh, to be honest, you've grown up uh, thinking that the church, uh, the Bible, or this uh, Christianity is just this set of rules, these, these, these things that we are to live by, this legalism and this, uh, and what it does is it begins to go away from uh, that pursuit of happiness because we're like, well, this, it's like legalism and it's hard and it's difficult. And, uh, and I would just say to you that Jesus reminds us in this moment, he reminds us that there are blessings That there is mercy that comes our way well before there are any instructions on how we are to live. So Jesus gives us the kind of these these eight things, these eight blessings, these keys to uh, peace and to happiness in our life. And I'll just pause for a second and just say this, that just because we live this way, it doesn't mean that our life is going to be without strife. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be distress in our life or even at times darkness. No, Jesus is just simply telling you and me that this is what constitutes devotion to God. This is what it is like to be a part of the kingdom of God. Have you ever played uh, the, the game with your children, uh, the hot and cold game? You know what I'm talking about where, uh, where maybe you uh, hide something of value, maybe you hide some candy or something along those lines, and, and then you tell your kids to go find it. And you play this game where you, as they're looking for it, you're kind of giving them clues. You're giving them hints. You're saying, well, you're getting colder. You're getting colder. Oh, now you're just freezing. And what happens is they shift directions, don't they? That based upon the clues that they've been given, they begin to shift directions. And now all of a sudden they're looking at other places. And, and now it's to a place to where it's like, okay, now you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Oh, now you're just, you're, you're scolding hot. And they find it, don't they? Well, I think that the Beatitudes is God kindly giving us clues and things for how we are to, to find the secrets to the blessings and to the bounty that God has for our life. He tells us the things of this world, the the, the stuff of this world, it doesn't fit with the things of the Lord. That there's there's this, this polarizing thing that's taking place, and he's saying all of the things that you know of this world don't fit in the things of the Lord. In fact, in Scripture, throughout Scripture, what we find is that evil is described as this this path, this crooked path, or uh, this winding path. And Jesus tells, or, and then we were reminded, not, not, Jesus didn't say this, but we're reminded in Proverbs 3, 5 of what Jesus does in our life. And that is that he comes to make our paths straight. 
And Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, he's basically saying, listen, everything that you know is crooked. It's, it's out, of, out of alignment. It's, it's all windy and weird. And he's like, I'm come. And the message that I'm about to give you, he's saying is, I want to straighten you out. I mean, that's ultimately what he's saying is, I'm going to straighten you out. I'm going to straighten out your path. I'm going to straighten out the way that you are thinking. He says to them, don't listen to the answers that the world gives. Listen to the things of the kingdom. Let the kingdom of God invade the world that we live in with the government of heaven. Let that be the thing that rules and reigns in your life. That the way that God meant for things to be is the straight path. But like everything in this life, what we find is that we have choices, right? We have choices. We can fight against the condition of this world. Uh, We can resign ourselves to it, which I highly do not recommend. But Jesus comes along and says, there's actually a third option. There's a third option. There's a way to live life that's very different than how we have always known to live. Again, it doesn't mean that we, that we won't experience pain or hassle or distress. It means that, I mean, how many people have gone into like this, this Christianity religion or this faith thinking that it's going to solve all their problems, right? Thinking that, that if I could just go to church more, if I just uh, give more, if I just serve more, then, then I will have a life free from distress, free from pain. And, and that's not what's promised here. No, they, the, the truth is, is that what God wants to do is give us a way to live life in the midst of some of those distressing times. That God wants to give us a way of life that when, when, life gets, when things get cut out from underneath us, when the world that we live in is dying and decaying, and there's all of these things, that, that in the midst of that, he gives us a way to live. That God's goal for us is not to live in a world that has just an easy life. That his goal isn't for us to not ever experience any darkness in this world. No, his goal is that in the midst of this darkness, we still have a way out. We still have the opportunity to do things and, and allow God to produce things into our life. So that when we experience those things, when we're going through those things, when people are around us, we're actually producing life-giving things. That life can be different than how it currently is. So the repetition that Jesus gives his disciples here is he gives them these blessed are. And he gives them these, these lists of things that are blessed are this and blessed are this. The Greek word tr- is translated really happiness or joy. Happiness are the poor in spirit. Joy is a, are, are the poor in spirit. The blessed condition is the joy-producing thing in our life. We find God and we We continue to grow and we continue to walk through this life regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation. And we're able to do it because 
of the blessed life because of the happiness and the joy that may not be because of our circumstances, but because of who God is in our life. I've heard the I've heard the blessed are is actually translated more in line with congratulations are in order. Congratulations are in order. And, and what I mean by this is like we would say to uh, a pregnant woman, we would say congratulations. And we say that not because they're, you know, eight months along and hurting and in pain. And I, I mean, you know, full disclosure, I've never been pregnant. But I have had a wife who has been. And uh, in months eight, seven, eight, and nine, I mean, it's, it's like you're done. You're ready to be done. And, and so when somebody says congratulations to them, it's not congratulations because you're in so much pain. No, it's congratulations because we know that in the not-too-distant future, very soon, something wonderful is about to take place. Blessed are they that are pregnant. Congratulations that you're not staying the way that you're currently in. Congratulations that there's something that's about to take place that's just absolutely amazing. You think about this in the context of uh, graduations, right? And graduations have just been totally obliterated in the midst of, uh, of this COVID thing. And what do we say to a graduate? We say congratulations. Why? Well, because they're moving on into something that is better. Uh, now, I don't say congratulations, I say my condolences, because now you get to pay bills. Now you get, to, you, you get to have a real life. You know, really, we should be saying congratulations every day of their life that they live in our house. No, the, the truth is, is that the hope is that they're moving on to something better. And so we say congratulations. The hope is that there is a beautiful life that's coming. And when we say congratulations, it's not because we're asking them to stay in misery. We're saying, man, something great is about to take place. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Congratulations are in order for those who are poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that that we recognize that we don't have the strength to make it even into tomorrow. Being poor in spirit is recognizing that I don't have what it takes to do this in my own life, on my own. That, that in my own abilities, in my own, um, in, in my own knowledge, that I need someone else to lead and guide me. Being poor in spirit is recognizing that I am not self-sufficient. So congratulations are in order when someone understands that they cannot do it on their own. When we recognize that we can't do things that, that are in our own ability, we are poor in spirit. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, listen, when you recognize that you can't do this on your own, you are in a good place. And when you recognize that you're in a good place, there's, there's joy there. There's blessing there. The problem is, is that we live in a culture and a world, honestly, that says that you can do it on your own. That you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that you can do this. You don't need people in your life. You don't need faith. You don't need religion. You can do this because you are smart and you are knowledgeable. You, you've got what it takes. But even if that was true, the reality is, is that 
you don't inherit any more of the kingdom of God because you're not operating out of the kingdom of God. You're operating out of your own ability. The opposite of being poor in spirit is is having the spirit of self-righteousness, the self-made man syndrome. This is... This is a world of difference, right? This is, a, this is a complete different perspective of poor in spirit and then the spirit of self-righteousness. The spirit of self takes charge. The spirit of self will not listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's an eternal difference between the good works that we do in this world that are just to prop ourselves up or prop a church up or whatever, and those things that we do in this world that point people to, pe- to uh, people who are far from Jesus, that they bring them to a place of relationship with Jesus Christ. See, being religious is not the same as being poor in spirit. And for these disciples who are hearing this for the very first time, it's blowing their minds because everything that they've known up to this point has been, has been all of the rituals, all, the, all of the things that they were supposed to follow through and do and learn and memorize and pray. And Jesus is just saying, blessed are those who realize that they cannot do this on their own. A person who is poor in spirit rests upon the righteousness of Christ. They rest in that. They are empowered by Christ to live a life of holiness. The poor in spirit know that the only good thing in us is Christ. We read in Galatians chapter 6 where it says, may I never boast, may I never brag except about the cross of Christ, that we recognize that that Christ is everything to us. There's a couple critical steps that are taken by the person who becomes poor in spirit. I just want to share these with you. The first is this, is that they turn their primary attention away from this world and the things in it. They're not distracted by everything that's going on in this world because everything that's going on in this world is not dictating their life. The reality is, is those who are poor in spirit have completely surrendered to him, and that's number two, because they turn their primary attention to God, their primary attention to his kingdom. Their purpose is to lift up Christ, to lift up the gospel message to everyone who is far from Jesus. They're willing to sacrifice themselves because they have a heartfelt burden for those people who are far from him. These self-righteous, the self-righteous person knows a lot of things. The self-righteous person, they've experienced a lot of things. But they don't live out of a posture of recognition, of, of dependency upon Christ in their life. If you find yourself in a place that you would say, well, what's the point? What's the point in all of this? And maybe some of you have, have found yourself there where you're just like, what's the point of surrender? Like, I, I can, I can kind of live a good life. I can do things on my own. I can make it through this. 
So what's the point? Well, if you find yourself in a place where you're saying, why do I need to surrender to Jesus? You're not poor in spirit. When we always operate out of what we know, when we always operate out of the things that, that, that we seem to have figured out, we will never learn anything else in our life. When I function out of my own strength, then, then I'm not gleaning anything more that God wants to do in my life. It's easy for us to fall into this trap. The, the, the truth is, is that I find myself falling into this trap at times. When this pandemic hit, I felt that in my own strength, and I've shared this with our church before, that I felt that even in my own strength, in my own ability, in my own knowledge, that we could navigate this, we could figure things out, we could move forward and go along. And what I know now is that, that I can't do it on my own. What I know now is that in the midst of my own ability, my own knowledge, that it's not enough that I find myself recognizing that it's short of anything that I can produce or perform or bring about that's going to be healthy and beneficial for our church. My trust and my dependence has to be in him. That if we're going to move forward, regardless of what, whatever happens in the future, no matter what church looks like in the future, that I have to put my trust in him. Listen, there's a reason that Jesus gives us this congratulations first. There's a reason that blessed are the poor in spirit is the very first thing that he says to us because Jesus is saying, if we don't get this right, then we've got a problem. Jesus says that if, if we don't find ourselves in a place of surrender to him, nothing I say from this point on will matter. And he has a lot more to say. He has a lot of things that he wants to instill into his disciples and instill into us. But he's saying, listen, if you can't get this figured out, then it won't matter what I say. But if we can find ourselves in a place of humility, if we can find ourselves living in dependence upon our God, we will receive something more. We will receive something extra of this kingdom life. If you've ever found yourself thinking, you know, I should, really should be reading more. If you've ever found yourself in a place to where you're like, you know what? I need to know more about the things of God. I need to know more of what the Spirit of God is saying to me. I recognize that I, I don't know the Bible like I should, but I, but I would like to know more. That's another way of saying that you're poor in spirit. That's another way of, of recognizing, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I don't have the answers. I don't have everything that it's going to take to talk to my neighbors or talk to my family or, uh, or to preach a message on a Sunday. I can't do it on my own. I need more of him. Have you ever spoken the words, this isn't working? Some of you have maybe spoken those words in circumstances that have not been pleasant. Some of you have spoken those words in maybe your marriage where you're like, this just isn't working. 
or in a job situation where you've tried your best to make it work and you're just like, this is not working. A couple of years ago, I uttered those words to the Lord in a time of prayer. I was studying uh, about the, the gifts that God gives us as Christ followers and, uh, and the different kinds of giftings that he gives each of us and that how we, as the body of Christ, cannot operate independent from one another, that, that we are to have uh, each of those who, uh, who operate different surrounding us. And as I was praying that, I was recognizing that that as the primary leader of the church, that, that there was something missing, that, that it, it's not enough for me to be in the giftings and the talents that he's given me to be the only one that's leading, the only one that's communicating, the only one that's instilling and correcting and challenging, that, that it would require more of the body of Christ. And out of that has come uh, a pastoral team. We call it the executive team, but it's really a, a team of pastors who, who now function in our own giftings. We're functioning in such a way where there's more wisdom, there's more discernment and knowledge, words of knowledge and prophetic words that, that we could never have independently from one another. And, and what I recognize is that me leading the church in a silo isn't working. I need other people. I can be, I can be uh, humbled and dependent upon God, of course, but that there actually needs to be other people in my life. And, and I would just say to you, if you find yourself in a place to, of isolation where you don't have other people speaking into your life, can I just say that if you haven't discovered already, it is not working. It won't work for very long. In fact, I just heard uh, someone share with me just the other day of a friend of theirs who hasn't been in community for over 10 years. No one's speaking into their life. And I can tell you that it's not working. It's not. We need people. We need the body of Christ in our life. But we also have to be submitted and humbled before our God. If you've ever found yourself trying to do all of this life on your own, to use the, the Texan phrase that seems to be so prevalent, to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, to get through this life, if you haven't figured it out already, it's not working. And Jesus would say to us, he would say, Blessed are those who realize it's not working. Congratulations, it's not working. That's what he would say. And, and, and that's such a freeing thing. That's such a peaceful thing when we can admit that. When we can say that, that it isn't working. That the way that I've been trying to lead my life and, and, and making decisions on my own, making decisions out of my own knowledge and my own information and my own experience, that when we're coming to that place of saying, you know what, it doesn't work when I do it. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's not working. Congratulations. Everything that you have known to be true about cultural Christianity, it isn't working. Think about it in our current context for just a second. 
This is completely shaken up how we do church. And for many of us, myself included, we, uh, we might have grown up in the church believing that it has to be a certain way, believing it has to look a certain way, that, that the format and the processes and the, uh, the programming and all of those things, that, that if, we, if we don't do it a certain way, then it's not church. And the danger in that is, is that what we're recognizing is that when we don't have that, when it's not a certain way, when it's not the way in which we think it should be, all of a sudden it's devastating to our life. And I would then challenge the question, maybe it wasn't working in the first place. I know that's controversial, and I recognize that even in saying that, that I'm not saying we should forsake the gathering of the saints. I'm not saying that we shouldn't gather together again. We definitely should. We need community. We need relationships. But if that is what we are depending our Christianity upon, attending services, doing programs, serving, even giving, if everything about that is what we define as our Christianity, then let me tell you, you don't need God to do those things. You can do all of those things and never be submitted in your relationship to him. That should scare us. That should concern us a little bit. But is it possible that maybe God in his sovereignty is using a circumstance and using a situation to shake up the church in America? To shake us up, to rattle us a little bit and say, listen, blessed are the poor in spirit. Congratulations to those who know that this hasn't been working. Congratulations to those who know that they need me in their life and they can't just be dependent upon church attendance and they can't be dependent upon serving or those things to lead their life. No, they need me. Blessed. Congratulations are those who recognize that in their life. Congratulations to the poor in spirit because they're going to inherit more of the kingdom life. Congratulations that now you are in a posture to receive, to grow, and to flourish in a world that is not what was ever intended to be. That you can flourish in the midst of distress. That you can have life that's flowing out of you, not because everything is well with the world, but because everything is well with you and your Savior, that you can come into a place of submission and say, God, I need you to lead my life. I need you to direct my life. I need you to make those decisions in my life. I can't make it through tomorrow without you. I can't make it through today without you. My prayer for you as we continue on through all of these congratulations these blessings, is that you would begin to understand first and foremost that none of what we're about to talk about even matters unless you get this one right. Unless you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to blow your mind on the fact that maybe everything that you've known 
is religion. And what he really wants is relationship. Let's pray.